Father, speak to us. Lord, we just heard the song that says everything changes. Everything changes with just one look. With just one look. Or shine a light upon us, Lord, as we read your word today, Lord, speak to us. But even now, as I open this book and I'm preparing myself to read, Lord, I'm I'm aware of your palpable presence right now in this moment. So, God, I thank you already for showing up. I thank you, Lord, that you have you are visiting us in this time. So, Lord, inspire us with your word. Or convict us with your word. Wash us with your word. Correct us with your word. Empower us with your word. But we're asking these three questions today. What are you revealing to us concerning yourself? Today, what are you revealing concerning your people? What are you revealing today, Lord, concerning us? Concerning me, Father. What are you revealing concerning me? Lord, bless us in this time. But we already thank you for what you're about to do. And we give you praise already for it. And we say that in your name, we pray. Amen and amen. I can see all of y'all. This is great. All right, let's go to second John. And we're going to read second John. And then we're going to we're going to keep going and see what's afforded to us. I probably won't start Revelation today, but we can at least um yeah through second john third john and also jude so let's do it <clears throat> verse 1 second john the elder to the elect lady and her children whom i love in truth and not only i but also those who have known the truth because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever grace mercy and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth, as we received commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have, we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning. You should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for but that we have received a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and Son. If anyone comes to you and does not abide in this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I do not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that your joy may be full. 
The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Third John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. Mm. For I see greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witnesses of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers of the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephus, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive them. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, pratting against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren, and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. <laughs> Demetrius has good testimony from you all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness and you know that our testimony is true. <laughs> I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Jude. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. <laughs> for certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the Lord the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you that though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chain under the darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal life. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel 
in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dare not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. There's a lot there. These are spots in your love feasts. And while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up from the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is received the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them, all of all their ungodly deeds which have committed in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts and their mouths great swelling words flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that they would be mockers in the last time, who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. <laughs> Maintain your life with God. That's what it says in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. <laughs> keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen with now and forever. Amen. I'm going to stop here with the reading. And we're going to just spend some time in reflection and in meditation. First of all, let me say this before I get started. I want to say this before I get started. Um, this has been an incredible journey. And for, for those of you who have journeyed with us over the past, I don't know, uh, 11 weeks, some of you guys were here when I first started this like 11 weeks ago and there was maybe six or seven people who were here, but then as people kind of got on, I've 
wanted to bring more people on board and say, hey, catch up because we want you to read along with us as we read through the whole Testament. This is a banner day. And the reason why is because today we have, sorry, tomorrow will be a banner day because tomorrow we begin the last book of the New Testament. The last book of the New Testament. So in in 11 weeks, and it'll probably be in 12 weeks, reading only on weekdays for 20 to 30 minutes a day, we have read, we, will ha- we would have read through the entire New Testament. <laughs> we would have read through the entire New Testament. So guys, you should be proud of yourselves. You really should. You should be proud of yourselves. And for some of you, you say, well, I read through, but I didn't understand half the things that I read. That's fine. That's okay. Okay. The word is food. You eat it. And guess what you do? You go back again and you eat it again. And you go back again and you eat it again. And you go back again and you eat it again. And you keep on eating it. Okay. We are, we're not doing a Bible study here. We're doing a reading. Okay. We're doing a reading and in the reading, maybe there is a little bit of a Bible study element to it, but in the reading, we're simply asking, what is God saying to us today? What is God saying to us today concerning himself? What is God saying to us today concerning his people? What is God saying to us today concerning me? And when we posture ourselves that way, it leads us to life transformation. You can read the scriptures and understand Revelation or understand Galatians or understand Romans or read Chronicles, you know, first Chronicles, or, you know, you can, you can read Genesis or you can read Ecclesiastes. And if you want to be real brave, read Habakkuk, you know, um, you can read all those different books in the Bible, right? You can read all of them and get a lot of intellectual understanding. And yet your life still doesn't change. And yet you're not transformed because you read it from a intellect. You you read it on an intellectual level. But the Bible isn't meant to be um, understood, but meant to take root in us. It must be in both our mind and our heart. And a lot of it, a lot of people have the Bible in their mind, the message of the gospel in their mind, but not in their heart. Man, happy early birthday. I want to say it ahead of time. Happy birthday, man. And so I say this to say to you that as I read this, there's so much that I'm tempted to do Bible study with as I read through second John and third John. And now through Jude. But there's a prevailing thought that the Lord has been convicting me of since yesterday. And I want to share this with you. And I hope this would uh, really, you know, realign your posture here. To back it up for a moment, John writes the, these letters. Okay. First John, we, we read first John, it's five chapters in first John. And then we read second John and third John, one chapter each, one, a letter being written to um, the elect, the lady, and the other one was a letter written to Gaius. And then, of course, we have Jude's letter. Okay. Um, 
John writes this letter. You could tell like John has a fervor to preach the gospel. And he desires to preach the gospel and to minister the gospel. But there's another thing that com- that compels John here and that John feels necessary to protect. And so he writes this first letter to the church at large to address a specific issue and how that specific issue, and I'll get there in a minute, how that specific issue erodes the message of the gospel. And in eroding the message of the gospel draws people away from the power of the gospel. It leads now to this passivity in the church and the temptation to fall into a cultural expression of church and not a transformative expression of church. I'm going to get there in a minute because it all sounds a little obtuse. So give me a minute to break that down. And then I'm going to, I'm going to really break it down. I'm going to, I'm going to bring it down real low for you. I'm going to make it plain for you. He then writes second John, and you can see that he's got this desire to go into the message of the gospel, but then feels drawn back again to protect the church from this very thing that he sees that's eroding the church. And then third John, he again is compelled to move into the gospel. You can see it. He starts off with that, compelled to move into the gospel. He commends them for their generosity. He starts off, his introduction is a gospel-centered introduction. And then, boom, he goes back again to protecting the purity in the message of the gospel. He quickly warns them about Antichrist. Notice, not the Antichrist, but go back in the scripture again. He's warning them about antichrists. You can see how this aligns with Jude. Jude then writes this letter as well. And and Jude speaks on contending for the faith and protecting the faith. It would seem that 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Jude were all written in a way so as to protect the church from something so as to protect the church from an ideology protecting the church from the things of culture and the world that are being imposed on the church that erode the gospel the common word that you'll hear people use is protecting the church from false doctrine these are very protective books. When you really read uh, um, Third John at first, Third John at first glance, when you read it at first glance, you go, "It's not really much being said here." He's thinking Gaius. Look at Third John. He's thinking Gaius. He writes about Diotrophus, who you know he's he's beefing with Diotrophus. Okay, I can see he's beefing with Diotrophus, and then he's got Demetrius. He's he, he likes Demetrius. I like that. And then afterwards he. Sends them off. Wow, there's not much there, right? <laughs> you don't see much there, right? Or in Second John that we just read, read right before Third John, he 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 writes he introduces himself right to the elect lady, right? Then he warns them to walk in Christ's commandments. 
And then afterwards, he says, beware of the Antichrist, the deceivers, the Antichrist, the ones who are teaching a doctrine other than Christ. And then Jude, he tells them, contend for the faith. And then he reminds them about what happens to people when they do not have the robust simplicity of the message of the gospel. So these books, I want to make sure you understand this because first John is a profound book and, and now second John and third John are simply undergirding and supporting first John. Where are you going with this pastor Isaac? If we go back to first John that we read yesterday, we'll know what John was speaking about as he wrote the second and third letters that he was protecting the church from a false doctrine. But the false doctrine is not the false doctrines that we talk about. You know, these, you know, you, you have people who are like, oh, you know, um, you, you know, doctrinal distinctives, you know, um, complementarianism versus egalitarianism. And so we need to protect the church from those false doctrines or um, the doctrine of women covering their head and other women not covering their head. Those false doctrines. He's protecting those. Right. Or. Um, what what are the doctrines that we seem to always be beefing about? Oh, baptism. There's another one. We love to beef about baptism. Do we sprinkle them or do we dunk them? And so we can't preach that false doctrine of those people who just simply just sprinkle water on people. I believe that it's full submersion, but that's okay. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about those doctrinal distinctions. He's not talking about those as false doctrines. He's talking about a doctrine. You see, it's funny because the church uses this and says, look, we must protect from false doctrine because we have to contend for the faith. He's saying contend for the gospel, not for your doctrine. Ooh, that's another one. That's another one share. Yeah. On the day of the Sabbath, we, we love to, we love to battle on the Sabbath. We love to battle about the Sabbath. Yeah. We love to battle about that. Or we love to battle about what, what laws we, what, what laws we are to be in, what laws we ought not to obey. We have all these arguments Ooh, yes, another one, Teresa. Uh, you know, um, um, post-millennialism, amillennialism, pre-millennialism, um, pre-tribulation, post-tribulation. What is the tribulation going to look like? And so you have different churches that have been formed based off of their different doctrines about the tribulation or about baptism or about marriage and divorce. Ooh, that's another one. Marriage and divorce, another one that Christians contend and they argue about. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about any of that. He's talking about a specific doctrine that erodes even all those doctrines. He's talking about the anti-gospel. There is a false doctrine, not many false doctrines. Ooh, I'm going to get in trouble with that. <laughs> There is a false doctrine. There are doctrinal distinctives, right? There are different churches and different pastors who believe different things about the nuance of church polity or ecclesiology or practices and all that. I'm not here to talk about all that. Oh, Bible translations. Oh, Teresa, you're going in now. You're going in. He's not talking about all these false doctrines. He's talking about a false doctrine here. What John is speaking into is the most dangerous doctrine of all that actually informs 
Gnosticisms, every other doctrine. Ooh. And the dangerous doctrine is the doctrine and the gospel of self. I'm going to make it plain for you. It is the doctrine of self. I know we can't go back to first John, but first John's a, I'd have to sit down and really break it, break it down for you and break it down for you and break it down for you and break it down for you. Cause there's a lot to unpack there. But what John, what second John and third John is speaking into is in protecting the purity and the simplicity of the doctrine of the gospel. He spoke about the, the false doctrine and the false doctrine. I know cliffhanger here is Gnosticism. What John was writing against and what he was protecting the church from is the Gnostic doctrines. Paul was spending more time protecting the church from within to not be divided by doctrines. Okay. That's what Paul spent most of his time doing is keeping the church together by the purity of the gospel <laughs> and not all your different doctrines. Whereas here, John, he's about protecting the purity of the gospel from the influences of culture that come to erode it. The most profound of them and the most dangerous of them being Gnosticism. And what Gnosticism teaches, because everybody's hearing this, oh, it was, was Gnosticism. What Gnosticism teaches is that the spirit is inherently good. That the spirit is inherently good. And the issue is not the spirit. The issue is the body, the physical realm. And so it creates this dualistic thinking. Stay with me for a second, family. It creates this dualistic thinking that says, I'm good, but it's the world that makes me do bad things. I'm good, but it's the influences of my environment that make me do evil. I'm good, but what I need to flee from is the evil of this world that makes me make those mistakes. So therefore, on one end of the spectrum, allow me for a moment, on one end of the spectrum, what it says is, is that spiritually we're good. The issues is with our body. So once we die, we can finally fully realize the fullness of the goodness that we are. Okay. Gnosticism says that I'm inherently good. So actually what I need to do is pull out from within myself, the goodness that is in me to overpower the evil that's going on in the world. That's Gnosticism. Gnosticism says, 
there's a good in me that has yet to be been pulled out of me. So through practices like meditation, training, teaching, if I get some more teaching, I can pull more of the good out of me. Ooh. If I can get more training, uh, if, if I can go see a psychic, if I can go see a soothsayer, I just need a spiritual person to speak those things. So that way the good in me comes out. This is what Gnostic thinking is. Gnostic thinking is, is I am inherently good. Now, on one end of the spectrum, it creates a passivity to say that I just need to wait to be glorified when I'm dead. To finally realize and fully discover who I am upon my death. On the other side of the spectrum, it says I can live however way I want because I'm a good person. And technically, because I'm a good person, God would never punish me. The issue is my body, not my soul. <laughs> this is why you see things like, like manifestation and we're always seeking to glorify ourselves. It's a worship of self. That I'm inherently good. Just stay with me here. Because I'm going somewhere with this. I'm inherently good. And because I'm inherently good, anything bad that happens, God's not going to count it against me because once I die, you know, I'm just going to move on. I'm going to move on to, to be connected with God and everything's going to be good. So I make mistakes, but I'm good. Yeah, I sin, but I'm good. I... I've hurt some people, but those are just mistakes. I'm actually a good person. And so on one level, what ancient Gnosticism did and taught, ancient Gnosticism taught that we are seeking to flee this physical reality. That's why they went into things like trances. That's why they went into highs. They got high back then to experience a higher level of spirituality because it was still me. To actualize and discover the me. Ooh. Why am I saying all this? You're going to you're going to see where I'm going with this. So if I can leave this physical world and enter into the spiritual well, what world, then I will fully actualize who I am. <laughs> Teresa, I'm glad. So Teresa, you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, because you, you were, you, like you said, you were a bit of a Gnostic. So you, you understood, you understand where Gnosticism is rooted. Gnosticism is rooted in the self. Now here's the danger. While ancient Gnosticism looked up and away Neo-Gnosticism and current Gnosticism has looked now to move away from this life into a life of pleasure and happiness. So now my life, <laughs> I want to move away from the boring, mundane, 
the simple, the painful, and transition now into a life of satisfaction, pleasure. The least common denominator in both of them is self. It's a worship of self. So now, because of Gnosticism, right? Because of this Gnostic way of thinking, there actually is no need for Jesus. There's no need for Jesus, right? Um, Jesus doesn't need to be real. And there's no need if Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, he died for my sins, but he died for the things that well, I'm, I'm talking about on the healthy side of this, not a healthy side on the, on the less egregious side of it. He died for my sins so that I can re, so that I can be fully actualized to be the best me that I can be. Okay. That's, that's, that's the, the least painful <laughs> and the least egregious of positions. The other position is, is that Jesus was just an idea to help us actualize ourselves. That's exactly right, Teresa. It is narcissism. It is religious narcissism. We live in today's cultural moment. In this present time, we want freedom we want choices and we want pleasure and we wonder why our marriages don't work anymore because the prevailing cultural thought is you need to be free you need to have options and it must be pleasant because that's now the centrality of our culture. So we don't want to get married anymore because marriage takes away my choices. Marriage takes away my freedom. And why, why get married if I hear that the sex gets worse when you're married? Oh, you heard that one before, right? Well, once you get married, the sex ain't good no more. I'm sorry if you got your kids listening. Because the purpose of marriage is my pleasure. <laughs> the, pur the purpose of marriage. So now if I get married, now I've lost choices. Ah. Can we, can we go a little bit deeper? We have been driven to find sensuality and pleasure and what's best for us. And, what, and so we've presented a God and a gospel that turns God into a butler. That turns God into your spiritual masseuse. That makes God somebody who attends to your every becking call. So now, if it don't feel good, then this God thing ain't working for me. So what does the church do? Because culture doesn't want that God. 
Culture doesn't want culture doesn't want a God who doesn't promise them that life feels good. Culture doesn't want a God that promises them that doesn't promise them that this life that it's going to be better. Culture doesn't want a God who doesn't please them and and fulfill their every desire. Culture don't want a God that doesn't help you have a, an amazing marriage with lots of great sex and lots of money and a nice car and nice clothes and beautiful kids. Culture doesn't want that God. Culture wants a God that pleases them because that is their God. Pleasure. That's the neo-gnosticism of today is if it doesn't feel good, it isn't good. It's the power couple mentality. Yes. Well, I get married if I can't be, if we're not going to be a power couple, if we ain't going to make this money. And if we're not going to do this is where our culture has gone. We've created a God who is a butler. And it draws and pulls us away from the purity of the gospel because it was never about you. <laughs> it was never about you. Ancient Gnosticism was to go into a higher spiritual reality. Neo-Gnosticism, our, our current cultural moment that's neo-Gnosticistic. Is that a word? Yeah, sure. Why not? We'll take it. Is one that says that the problem is this regular boring life and we need to go and find perfection. So now it's what's happening in this world is the best thing. It's the how we feel, all the things we do. These are the things that motivate us. It has to feel good or it isn't good. It has to produce pleasure or that's not of God. So we've turned God now into a feeling. There was a time where the old Gnostics were looking to leave their body right, into a higher level of self-actualization. Now our self-actualization is actually lower now. We have this low level self-actualization where now instead of getting to higher levels, we want to get to the better here and now. So we want the best body, right? I got to look good, get the six pack abs, right? And she got to have the six pack abs too. And we got to look good. We live in an Instagram culture where it's about how you look. And if it don't look good, then it isn't good. And if actually nobody sees it and pictures aren't taken, then it isn't real. And so we have to present this amazing life where all these things and, and <laughs> so, so we follow the movie stars. That's what we do. Are you, are you with me? Are you catching me here? This is the anti-gospel. It says that the world you live in isn't good enough. It says the problem is not from within. The problem is what's going on out there. So one looked to escape it. The other looks to get the most out of it. I was in a, um, I was in a clubhouse and, uh, they were just talking about sex in the clubhouse and 
It's very interesting to me. The conversations that were happen- happening and transpiring. And they were talking about, well, if I, I got to make sure I get mine and he got to make sure he gets his. Or the gods are saying, I got to make sure I get mine. And she just better do the best she can to get hers. You know, and if she does, that's great for her too. Narcissistic. Well, well, you know, he he he's always getting his, so I better make sure I get mine. Narcissistic. In the relationship, we talk about what we get out of it not what we bring into it. And the moment the marriage doesn't feel good or the job doesn't feel good or the relationship doesn't feel good or things aren't going the way that we want them to go, we walk away, narcissistic. This is the anti-gospel. And here's where it gets scary. As the church, because we know it's countercultural. The gospel is countercultural. The gospel doesn't say that the problem is in the world. Actually, as a matter of fact, the Lord is coming to restore this world. We're not, we're not here to leave it, but the world is perfectly good. The problem isn't what's happening on the exterior. The problem is actually the sin within our heart. The problem is not what's happening from without, but the problem is what's happening from within. Now we don't, we don't, we don't follow our hearts. Because the problem is our hearts. Now we're not pursuing higher levels of self. We're actually dying to self. That's what the gospel is. To rise to a new life in Christ. We want to be the best best people that we can be. And yet that's not the gospel. The gospel is you have to die to yourself. You know what's wrong with the world? People. You know what's wrong with the world? We are. So rather than moving to higher levels of self, we should be dying to ourselves. But what happens is because culture, because that's countercultural, because culture doesn't see that. I'm ranting today. I'm sorry. Y'all give me some time to rant. Let me rant. Because culture doesn't see that. Okay, because culture doesn't see that the church gets tempted to now present a gospel that fulfills your Gnostic thinking. It's called Christian Gnosticism. Now, when we read Bible, we don't use, we don't do exegesis. We do narcissus. We read the scripture and see what we get out of it. Or we read the scripture and find some way of making ourselves the hero. Because the Bible's got to be about us. And about how I can be the best me that I can be. Because that's what it's about. And the travesty family is. The travesty. Is that we pander to it as the church. Oh, we pander to to Gnosticism. We pander to Narcissus. We pander to it because if we're going to get the crowd, we got to make sure we make this good for them. It's got to align with the cultural thinking. It's got to align with the cultural thought. 
It's got to fit in with the way they think about things. Um, they're not going to like, you know, if we're going to do relationship goals, we have to make it about what you get out of it. If we're going to talk about Jesus, we got to talk about how Jesus came for you so that you could be the best person that you can be. When we talk about when we talk about the gospel now, the gospel is never about the glory of Christ, but about the glory of self. So now we go to church and all they do is give us Bible stories about how we were the best. We were called to be the best people that we can be and that God's here to help us be the best people that we can be because that's what it was. And so we keep preaching it over and over again to people and telling people that God's here for you. That's why he exists. He exists for you. And so we preach this to people and people follow those principles and in the end get nothing. Because we never taught the person that the problem is you and you are helpless in and of yourself and you need a savior. Ah, but this Christian life that you're going to live ain't going to be easy. It's going to come with people who don't like you, who hate you, who persecute you. All these things are going to happen to you. This is what the gospel is all about because the devil wants you to think that you're God. The devil wants you to worship yourself. The devil wants you to fall into self-pleasure, self-seeking motives. That's what the enemy wants. Because if the enemy can pull you to yourself, then the enemy can pull you away from God. This letter was written for us today. Because this letter was written to say, hey, fam, you know, those people who now who who can't even say. I mean, there are folks right now who can't can't even say that Jesus is the the way, the truth, the life. There are people who can't even say that anymore. Now we're 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 we're, we're, we're veering into is Jesus God Oh, we're veering into all these different doctrines that are eroding the divinity and the glory of Christ that are eroding the gospel. And it's all rooted in one doctrine, the doctrine of self Gnosticism. Every false form of doctrine every false theology, every one of those gospels that have led people astray and did not give them life, gave them less purpose and drew, drew them away from God. Every one of them pandered to one thing, self. Because if there's anything that's attractive is to believe that some higher authority exists to serve you. And so John writes this gospel and this letter because you know what he says? He says, you better be careful. They're out here. 